entrepreneurs for rooting ourselves in love and purpose. How do we build a sustainable venture to enable people to flourish? Any use of money is simply to serve this God on whom we are completely dependent. The only legacy that I care about is Jesus Christ. I don't care about my legacy. Jesus could kneel down and clean the feet of his disciples. If he can do that, he is God. Who are we? Entrepreneurship is changing Asia from within. Leaders across industries are taking up their God-given call to create. We are excited to highlight the many stories of what God is doing throughout our region. We will also feature entrepreneurs from around the world who have important things to say, no matter where they call home. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast, where we spotlight entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the marketplace in our region. This week, we'll hear from Sharon Lim. Sharon's path towards entrepreneurship has been complicated, to say the least. She grew up in a family with a successful electronics manufacturing business, but instead of taking over, she decided to branch out on her own in her 20s, licensing a popular Singapore snack brand to Jakarta. Entrepreneurship was in her blood, but the good times wouldn't last forever. After the 1997 financial crisis, Sharon was left with absolutely nothing. She rethought her career, went to Bible school, studied the Old Testament, and moved to South America. She had moved on from her entrepreneurial aspirations, but God wasn't done with them. Through a series of divine interventions, Sharon became the co-founder of Browseware, a leading 3D fashion design software headquartered in Singapore. She joins us today to talk about the complicated but beautiful journey God has placed her on. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast. I'm here with Wen. Wen, good morning. Howdy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. So this is uh, later in the evening, my time, but I am fired up to spend time uh, with an Asian audience and with Sharon. So we've got Sharon in, in, in the studio today. And, and it just went, it's just actually, it's just really fun just doing the podcast period. And one that's focused on uh, an Asian audience. You know, we've been doing the podcast globally now for about five years. We've got a couple hundred episodes in, but there's something really special about what God is doing in Asia right now. And the number of FDE groups, you know, one of the key things, of course, about our ministry are these groups that get together, 12 to 15 entrepreneurs in person at their church or virtually across the region of Asia to uh, go through this foundations group, which is free. There's no cost, there's no catch, but to be able to get in community and see what it looks like to for the call to create an identity in Christ and endeavoring to be faithful versus willful. And the momentum that's picking up in Asia is really, really encouraging to me. And I'm fired up to be on the ground with you in a couple of weeks because we're going to be in Singapore, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be cool. And we're going to actually get a chance to meet Sharon, who's our guest today. We'll be there in person, but she's not in Singapore today. We've just learned that she's actually in Israel. She's in the Holy Land, presumably to go there and get inspiration and encouragement for her journey. But I have, I have a sense that she's actually there for, for business purposes. Sharon, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for the invite and uh, really great to uh, just spend time with you guys and really just take out uh, whatever story God has written in my life, right? Yes, That's what indeed. this is all about. Yeah. 
Indeed. Well, I know because we talked about this before we went on air that you're there for business. Um, as you travel to Israel and, and on this trip, do you get a chance to spend any time in any of the holy sites and see the Sea of Galilee? And is that something that you get a chance to do or is it all just business in and then, and then get back to Singapore as soon as you can? Sometimes we get, sometimes I do take time with uh, my partners who are, who are from Israel, who are yeah. Israelis, and we do take time maybe once or twice a year. And we do some things together. So our last trip was doing a, yeah, to having a guide take us through uh, Galilee, uh, Bethlehem, and and so on. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, and so I've only done that once, but there's something that's really special about walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and I get a sense. Um, Israel is significantly hillier than I ever thought it would be, and uh, they walked back then. So I know that Jesus was was fit, and his disciples were fit. And um, but that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about is the story that God has woven through your life. And just start us off. When's, when knows you so much better? So he's going to take you through and bring our audience through some of the lessons that God has taught you. But just start off before one takes it away. Tell us a bit about who you are and where you come from. The beginning part of your journey, please. All right. So I'll, even though you said I'll start uh, from the beginning, I'll start with who I am today. So okay. I am a beloved daughter of God, and I'm uniquely created to desire to fix and build things. So I can only blame it on uh, the Creator. And I've came, I, I came to know the Lord in my 20s after a crisis, which we'll kind of share, which I'll share later. And then through that crisis, I learned how much I'm loved and how much, um, how much God is so pretty much well and alive. And this love has pretty much shaped my journey. Uh, I start with the end because the end kind of shapes how I, how I want to achieve the end. So Psalms 27, 4, pretty much speaks of my desire for this life here on earth and onto eternity, what it means to live and uh, love him uh, who calls me his own. So, you know, Psalms uh, 27, 4, it's, it's this, right? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. So, that's who I am today. Um, and every time I say, so sorry about this, every time I, I talk about this, uh, or rather I share the Psalms, it's really beautiful and it tends to get to me as well, especially when I'm like in a place where, you know, a call to God is a local number, right? May that answer be the same for us all. And thank you for sharing that psalm with us. Like your life, um, I mean, we're friends and it's been such a privilege to just spend time with you. And um, one would like, I'm just really inspired by how, you know, like your anger. Um, you have a lot of stuff going on in your life. Um, you know, running this company, Browseware, that it's across, you know, multiple cities. Um, and yet you make time for mentoring younger people. You make time for all these different things. And um, But even I feel like your faith is like number one and that you really prioritize. Um, and so I'm just so excited to unpack your journey. Um, but maybe we'll go back to actually the start of your entrepreneurial journey. It brought you to, uh, oh, first, your family. 
actually started with your upbringing in a family business. So can you talk about that and then how that led you to Indonesia and then yeah, a bit about your journey? Is it, yeah, there's a lot to go through, but it, just a little bit on each step. So my my mom, I would say, my actually my mom and my grandmother were both really big influence uh, for me. And the family business at that time was, re- my mom was really the founder of the business. She's really the entrepreneur. So she set up, uh, she set up this electronics uh, business uh, very humbly. That grew a lot bigger than she thought it would. And um, before I turned twenty, I was already in the business. Long story, but anyway, I'm not going to go down there. But I I started with that uh, with the family business, and at, after about nine years or so, I I left and I and I kind of started on uh, my own business with uh, in Indonesia. So the family business take, took me to Indonesia, Malaysia, the US, and uh, we just uh, in China. So we just continue to grow. But both my mom and my grandmother being such huge influence for me, they really model, they're not believers, but they really model what uh, being a entrepreneur looked like, what being a boss looked like. Uh, for my mom, it was literally being the head of a household. She ran the business because she had no choice. If she was better educated, as she told me, she would go find a job. But since she wasn't doing a business, was the was the, or rather conducting a trade, was what put food on the table. But what I saw them did as the head of the business was how they ran the same as how they would run run our household. And they took responsibility of others. They took care of people. And, and that's what they did. That's what being the head of a household meant. Now, it's not just their own household right now. It's every employee and the employee's family. They took it upon themselves to care for them. And I grew up seeing my mom really care for her employee, cooking for them, feeding them. And that's what, that's what entrepreneurship or, or business really means for me. Uh, when knows this? The business, the word for business, in has two character in Chinese, and basically the two character is made up of the word. The first character, birth, which means uh, just birth, uh, you know, and then the second character, meaning and purpose. And this, this, so a business literally means birth of a purpose, a birth of meaning. In both my grandmother and my mom, I saw this multiplied, the multiplied impact of business when we invest and we run it because it's all about people at the end of the day. So naturally, when business is done well, wealth is created. And with that also comes a lot of temptation to use wealth uh, selfishly as uh, I, I think as many today can, can see lavish living and so on. But again, they were modeled for me. Uh, when I was just a kid, my mom used to tell me that uh, since we are born into family, uh, since we are born into business, uh, we need to learn a really important lesson, and that is to live well with a dollar or with thousand dollars. Now, basically, what she meant is put wealth to use and not be a slave to it, regardless of whether you have a dollar in your bank or whether you have a thousand dollars. Being young at that time and then having starting my business, I don't think I really understood it. So of course I lived through the age of disobedience. But that age of disobedience also taught me the truth and the wisdom of what they said. 
And these lessons were, since I was a kid, really amazing. That you have had incredible role models in your life. And I know that now you're being that role model for other young entrepreneurs. Um, but maybe let's, yeah. <laughs> um, but we, let's go to the lesson on just about, you know, um, learning it in your disobedience as such, um, you know, and then actually being in Jakarta with your new business and then the Asian financial crisis happened. Um, can you just kind of like give us a glimpse of what that was like? Yeah, so somewhere in between, I decided that I was going to leave the, the family business. And that decision was really my first decision with the Lord, because in between the family business was when I came to know the Lord in my 20s. And leaving the family business was really difficult, but it was kind of the first decision I took with, with the Lord. I started a, a, um, a really famous Singapore snack uh, I took the license of the franchise for a really famous Singapore snack uh, brand. And I went to Jakarta. Why Jakarta? Simply because I, with the family business, I spent almost seven years in Asia. So I felt it's pretty much home for me. I knew the terrains. I knew the landscape. Um, and so it was very natural for me to decide to take this uh, business and, and start in, in Asia. Um, and so as I... It did really well. I, I did something that people thought I was crazy to do, which is to, um, if it's not sensitive, basically to take a brand that's known for its pork, barbecue pork, and go to Indonesia and take up the, the, the franchise for Indonesia. Now, that's really silly, but the business did really, really well. So we sold to a very niche audience, uh, but the target market uh, every month, if I remember, we sold almost two tons of dead meat, total beef, chicken, you know, pork as well. But pork was one of the best sellers. And we sold almost two tons of meat every month. <laughs> it was crazy. So yes, success. And with the success came bigger risks, you know. So we were doing so well. I said, hey, let's bring in a lot more inventory. Let's expand it, you know. We know the market fits already, so let's just go really big in this. So from two stores, I decided to start it, start out another two more. So within a year and a half, we had four stores. And I said, let's uh, let's now bring in a lot more inventory. And that was a, a lesson because with the inventory also meant taking up uh, more capital, which I didn't have. But I was doing so well, I could go to the uh, suppliers and talk to them about it. Uh, they gave me only six months worth of capital. So they said, all right, we'll put you on credit for six months, you know, and that should give you your next big win. But I wanted 12 months. So I said, no, I was going to take a loan out for the other six months. All right, because let's go for 12 months, reduce costs, all the wonderful stories, how to run business efficiently and optimize. That's what I did. I borrowed half. My my vendors gave me six months credit and off I went in exactly six months. That's when the Indonesian financial crisis hit. So what ended up with, uh, you know, a great idea, you know, not having that foresight that only God has ended up becoming my worst nightmare. I wish I was just left with nothing because that would have been great. But uh, when your currency falls overnight, no fault of yours, next morning, wake up, the money in the bank is worth only 10% of its value. 
and you borrowed in Singapore currency, which is strong as ever, it was not a good situation to be in. So I ended up with a lot of debt. And that was, uh, so first decision, worked with, you know, really worked with a lot. Second decision, a lot of my own ambition, a lot of my own thoughts, a lot of optimization, all the great things that people say that you have to think of. And not having the foresight that God had, you know, I ended up with uh, a big, a huge debt that I thought was uh, was too much for a uh, twenty something years old. And I learned back then the country was in social chaos. Everything was everything was a mess. The stores had to close. There was uh, bombings or threats of bombings every couple every couple of hours. It was it was a really tough decision, and so I, I wanted to bring this up because that pretty much taught me, you know, what it meant to wait on the Lord. It taught me really to hear and to allow God, who knows the future, to put all things into place for me. So from that lesson, I guess it pretty much shaped all my, uh, yeah, it pretty much pulled me back from being that uh, smart aleck, uh, smart relying on my own. Uh, smartness and just always bring things before the Lord, uh, knowing that He always has this future background that you and I, we are too finite to know everything, but He is the infinite God. So to let Him lead, I would say that was, uh, that was my thing with Indonesia. Yeah, but all bad a- lessons, yeah, yeah, all bad lessons have good lessons to it as well. So, yeah. In terms of you waiting on the Lord, I remember the first time um, we met and I texted you. I had to text you for something and I didn't hear back. And I was like, did I offend Sharon? Like, did I say something wrong? But it was because you were on a silent retreat. And um, and the fact that you really practice this in terms of just, you know, tuning out and then waiting on the Lord. And, and as an entrepreneur, I think, um, and, you know, people who are just really active and you're, you know, constantly doing, 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 it is the mm. opposite of what an entrepreneur would like to do. Can we just go into that a bit and just like, you know, how did you cultivate this practice of just waiting on the Lord and, um, yeah, putting in your, I think it's annual, if I'm not mistaken, uh, silent retreats. So I take. I'd like to say it's once a year, but actually the fact it's more than that. I think just cultivate the need to stay close to the Lord. We start with our identity as God's beloved. And communication with the Lord is not just for the answers of life. You know, what's my next decision? And what's, you know, do I do this? Do I not? He's He's not, uh, he's not your divine uh, uh, it's not your divine, uh, what do you call that, uh, concierge. Right? He is our father, and we are his beloved. And as his beloved, knowing and, and knowing that the world belongs to the Lord, the business, the entire world belongs to the Lord, capital, economics, there is nothing that doesn't belong to him. So I think pretty much as an entrepreneur, as a faith-driven entrepreneur, it is even more important for us to understand our father's heart and his mind. He lifts us up to a plane that actually helps us to understand how he sees things. So that time away with the Lord is actually to tune in to how he sees things. But that's not just um, 
how he sees things and to come to even love him. So time retreat with him, it's kind of like the retreat and holidays or vacation time we take with our family whom we love to spend time with them. The retreat is pretty much for me and God, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just time you, to hang out with him. During, during these retreats, how do you hear him speak to you? And, and, and going back to the, the financial crisis, was, walk us through that. So I know that you reached out to him. How'd you hear him respond? How'd you hear this story and, and know that you are his beloved? During the financial crisis, uh, I was really depressed because with the debts and then, you know, added to that were betrayal or people considered my close friends. And then when you look at the social chaos that was happening all around the world, quite honestly, I was at uh, the point where I was ready to take my life because mm-hmm. all I could see was uh, yeah, an oncoming train. If there was light, it wasn't light at the end of the tunnel. It was just the light of an oncoming train to head it towards me. By his grace and his grace alone, the attempt to end my life was not successful. Thank God. you know. And therefore, I'm here. And I can tell of this, of his incredible assurance at peace that followed that uh, failure, uh, the failed attempt. And then how subsequently after that, how he navigated me day by day. The day that I decided to end my life, and God decided to not end it. Um, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That With that surrender, it allowed me to live a pretty amazing life, a pretty amazing adventure with Him. And also with that, it's also the start of my faith in Him. And, um, and not in myself, not in my call, not in my giftings, not in any of those. And just to, to be with him. Um, so with that, I heard him for the first time in my life. Actually, I heard him just assure me that he'll be with me, this divine presence with me. And that was what gave me, in spite of all the ambiguity that still faced me, that was what gave me the courage. And just say, okay, you know better. If you're going to keep me here, then you're going to have to help me step by step day by day. We actually ended up still opening the stores in spite of uh, one of the capital that was supposed to come in, deciding not to come in anymore. And uh, friends who pull out. But there were others that the Lord sent to help me during that time um, open up, uh, finish up things. And we actually ended up, it was a really amazing story because we ended up owning that business for 10 years and then reselling that business back to um, yeah, the principal because they saw that the market was that good and they told me we want to come in. So I said, why don't you take the, why don't you buy me out? And so that was what happened after 10 years. But it was a, it was a rough patch and, and that rough patch mm-hmm. was what kind of ended me in Bible school since I didn't really at that time really knew how to read the Bible and all. But that I figured, go to Bible school, right? If you want to know the word, just go to Bible school. So I signed up and then ended up uh, uh, understanding the word of God. And I signed up for Old Testament survey, 
they, oh, I didn't even know what I signed up for. The only reason why I signed up for that was because it seems like that was the only class that had space, that had uh, you know places that I could. Okay, so I signed up for that just based on that. I had no clue, never read the Old Testament before. But that was when, that was an amazing class. So that was already God's leading for me to go to Old, Old Testament survey. And by the time I finished Old Testament survey, uh, a couple of months or maybe a year, I can't remember after that, I actually got a job with Tommy Hilfiger in Latin America. And I ended up working first time in my life with people who were Jewish. So when they set me at all, I just, I have to remind you, that sounds like a very strange, (laughs) doing family business, you go to Jakarta, Asian financial crisis, and then all of a sudden you're in fashion in Latin America working for Tommy Hilfiger. That's not a normal, go to Bible school. That's (laughs) not a normal path. Yeah. Yep. And thank God that I was in, that he kept me on a very narrow path, exactly where he needed to needed me to go and that's i didn't even know a place a country called panama and uh, when the offer came i was like sure i just needed a job so let's do it and that that was in a time when um so i I put my manager at the at the business in charge and i said okay i'm gonna go look for uh, i I need the i need the job and then with the job at least i i could start paying the debts and doing all that so okay you take care of stuff and i'll make sure i keep the keep the capital coming in at the same time hopefully make enough to pay off my debt all right i negotiated all my debt with the vendors so they didn't put me they didn't sue me to bankruptcy instead they agreed and we managed to hedge currency and did all those fun things that kept the business going i a job came actually i would say it was really a job that came to me it wasn't it wasn't me signing up for anything. It was a very funny story because at that time, I really felt that I needed to look for a job to get things going. So I, I for the first time in my life, I wrote up, I wrote to so many jobs. Um, back in those days, you still used the papers and all that. Right? So I wrote to so many jobs opening. Nothing was opened up. And here comes, you know, months later, you know, somewhere in Latin America, a friend called me and said, hey, you want to come over and, and help us? And that's that's how I ended up in uh, Latin America, a place, Panama, a place that I didn't know existed on the map. I'm sorry, <laughs> it was it was really amazing. And then what's really amazing was after after Bible school, after the Old Testament survey, and I ended up working for people who were Jewish. My first onboarding was with one of the founders of the business. And the onboarding was to tell me to respect uh, Sabbath. All right, that I had to him understanding the Asian cultures. He knows we love to work, so he said, "Please make sure you're out of the office before sundown. That's a that's a requirement in this place. You need to be out before sundown." So I said, "Sure." He said, "You can bring your computer out, but we respect that, and I also want you to know that we respect." Uh, we will never pay you late. We will always pay you before or on time if there's a holiday. And that was my whole onboarding. I just went through Old Testament survey. I understood uh, a lot of these uh, practices, you know, that came um, from the Old uh, Testament. And it was it was just mind blowing to see this was part of my onboarding. 
that people were bringing this out. And that was really amazing. If I never knew a Jewish person until I finished Bible school. And then the first one was someone who was practicing, was a practicing Jew in how he ran his business. It was amazing. This can only be God. And now fast forward, I mean, you're dialing in from Israel. You have a business that is an Israeli business. Um, so let's go into browseware. Um, so while you're working at Hillfig, I think the story is that you came across browseware um, and yeah. you started doing sales for them. You, you switched over, you started doing sales for them. So can you kind of just um, talk to us about this company? What is browseware? What does it do? Um, and yeah, and just kind of the journey until now that you are the CEO um, and um, part owner. And you're, you're an owner of it. Yeah. Um, so browseware, say the... Browser is a 3D simulation uh, for cloth simulation. So it kind of started, that's when I knew them was when I saw a CD back then, they still use CD. So I saw a CD of their demo, which was about how you could, instead of people feel and touch clothes, you could actually be shopping online 3D, okay, virtually, and then buy your clothes. Now, that made a lot of sense to me in, in the year 2000. And I was in fashion already, right? So someone brought me this CD and said, you need to take a look at this company. Uh, that really fascinated me. Now, um, 3D companies for consumer electronics is not new or for hard goods is not new. Even in my family business, I implemented a lot of technology like this. But in the fashion business, because it's soft, it's... Um, it's it's all about simulation. It's all about, you know, touch and feel. I didn't, there wasn't such a technology that was available until I came across Browseware. And that was fascinating for me. Fascinating enough for me to see then, uh, to try to bring it into Tommy Hilfiger. Not very successful because people didn't believe that you could actually shop online. Henry, this was, this was in the year 1999. A small company called Amazon was started in 97. When I brought this up, everybody is like, yes, you can sell books. You can't sell clothes online. It doesn't work. People need to touch and need to feel it's not going to work. I came across Browseware and I said, this is the future. People will buy, will shop, and will live their life online or part of their life online. And so any technology that kind of propels and fuels this I think we need to help them. Uh, if not, the technology would just disappear. So here comes then the year 2000 and 2000, 2000 when the dot-com burst. <laughs> that was really funny because that was when I decided I was going to look at technology and jump to the other side of the tech business. Uh, when I worked for Tommy, I worked for uh, the board and I had uh, investors that was on the board. And they really took me in and taught me a lot about investing, looking at companies and all. And I told them this. I told them, I said, I want to go into the tech world because I feel that technology will fuel the future. And we need to help all these technology guys to know how to get to the world that they want to sell to, the solutions that they want to bring to the world. They need to know. And, and since I'm part of this world, I would like to help them commercialize. And that's what I did. After the dot-com burst, I believe that uh, the technology world, not all the fundraise went into uh, private jets and uh, parties. A lot of it went into R&D. And I decided to 
pack my bags, my first trip to Israel, come to Israel and look through the junkyard because money has dried up during the dot-com burst. No one would touch tech with a 10-foot pole. And I felt that was my best time to actually start looking at tech. So I came to Israel uh, and I figured if Browseware still exists um, and is keen, I would help them uh, give my commercial skills to them, my building skills to them, and help them bring the technology, if they're still alive, bring the technology to the customers and help them really sell this uh, technology and build this technology with them. So I started as a reseller for them. Um, and that was uh, after I signed the contract, I came, uh, that was in 2003 that I started a business to resell for them. And then as when mentioned, by the time it came to 2011, uh, when Browser itself was not doing so great, I was already their largest reseller. And so I, that was, that also had a very big God story to it because one month, a month prior to, uh, the invitation to take up Browseware or to acquire Browseware, I got into a bike cycling accident that left me rendered for almost a month with my feet up. Well, that was my longest silent retreat with the Lord. Uh, but that also kind of, the Holy Spirit also prepared me that something will come. You know, just say yes, just go. And that's exactly the day I got off my, um, the doctor said I could get get off bed and I could start uh, walking was when I got a call that says, uh, come to Israel, we'd like to, we'd like to talk to you about acquiring this company. That was, this is a God story. So I went, no money, no capital, no nothing except my own business and negotiated. And that's it. I bought the business. And the first thing after I bought the business was, uh, it was a really amazing story as well. But it's, it was just God all the way. And someone told me as soon as I signed the deal and all, someone told me and said, Hey, now you need to go fundraise. So how in the world are you going to run a tech business without fundraising? So that's the first order of the day. I went before the Lord and I told him that that sounds pretty smart. You know, so how do I fundraise and how do I do that? That was in year 2012. Um, but all I heard from the Lord was um, not a venture cap capital. All right. My way is being a venture catalyst, a VC, but being a venture catalyst. And I want to show you how that's done. I said, okay. It's the, it's, so you start with God is the one who owns the capital. So if he, if I don't sense him saying fundraise, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think of other things. And, and I think business is the most, uh, is the most organic way of fundraising. It's also the best way of validating whether you're doing the right thing or not. So a lot of time, even today, as I, as I walk mentor, as I walk uh, entrepreneurs through, I also teach them also or guide them through with stories also how to work at, uh, you know, organically funding their business through the business, because that's exactly what I did for the next 10 years. Every year, I, I try to go back to the VC route because every year, I always had a lot of smart friends who tell me to do that. And every year, I always tell the Lord, especially when things get 
got really tough, but I always heard from the Lord, I am your provider. Not just you personally, but also the business. Everything that I've called you to do, I will equip you to do it. And that's a great, told, that's a great, 10 years. It's a great story. That's a great parallel, actually, with my business background, too. We semi famously at Bandwidth, having also been birthed in 2000, uh, right in the dot com burst. Um, we then subsequently went 0 for 40 in venture raises and had to be fully reliant on God, and He was our provider. Uh, curious for you, as you've gone through this, this process and you're now running, you're very much a faith-driven entrepreneur, tell us about some of the lessons that you've learned about management, about working with vendors. What are some encouragements that you have for an entrepreneur or business owner that might be back and it might be, might be Sharon in 2000? I think that we've got some good encouragement about what it looks like for the sharing in the Asian financial crisis and God being there for you when you're in the valley of shadow of death. But fast forward a bit. As your business is starting to grow in the 2000s and and, uh, up over the last 10 years, what are some things that you've learned about the way that you're able to manifest your faith in the marketplace? So I, I went into the tech business Right. And I, I think the tech business first, before tech, strangely enough for me, what I learned was all about capital. Uh, the capital market is so well and alive and so dominating in the tech world. And that was, I think, that is my first uh, par- parallel to the financial crisis. I found that the, the, the financial crisis, what led Indonesia to a financial crisis was a lot of systemic issue from corruption, lack of ethics in in you know in the capital market and uh, it's, it's a long story to it but but what I saw was a lot of systemic issues with politics with economics with capital and how a country runs it that eventually led to a crisis devaluation of dollars social chaos and so on now I paralleled that to when I then look at the um, dot-com burst. I kind of could see very similar systemic issues of how capital dominated and success was very much tied to capital, how much you had, how much you raised, and, and so on. So when, when the lot led to an alternative path, all right, that is organic, and that is not looking at this, that is putting him as the, God, Jehovah, the provider, him being the cap- king of capital, oh, king of our capital, all right, and working, and he in being the king of the economics, putting customers first, understanding how to build a go-to-market that is very customer-centric. You know, understanding we may be small, but if people wanted what we, what we had, you know, we don't need the capital. We can grow with our customers you know, validating for us the product every single step of the way instead of taking the usual way, which is I sell you the story, this is the pitch, and then once the fund is raised, I just go full swing into it. We had the luxury of building this, you know, because we had, we were restricted. So this is the only way to build, all right? Build your customers and grow your customers. I think those are a lot of the things that I, uh, from Indonesia, I saw this issue that eventually led to a crisis. 
parallel it into the business and made sure that we ran the business in a way that was uh, really pragmatic, trusting the Lord to open the right doors, you know, for us, and then to keep being faithful in all the doors that's open to us, trusting that he will lead the next step out of the way. We are all finite, as I mentioned earlier, but God is the only infinite one. So who better than him to actually put the jelly beans into place? Sometimes the jelly beans are a lot bigger, sometimes a smaller one, but keep picking it up and keep walking it through. And then you will see things unfold. Give time, give God the time to unfold the things in your life. So this is how I think with the whole browser journey, it's it's been this. And it's really, I realized that it's been really unique. Um, I didn't, I told the Lord, I'll give him three years. You know, if not, I figured it's okay. I'll go somewhere else. After all, I've gone from one industry to the next industry. I said, okay, maybe there's something I'll learn. Three years later, I'll move on. But it's been spectacular to go through, you know, almost a 20 years journey and to see what the Lord, the alternative um, king, you know, the kingdom at work, which is totally different from how the world works and to live through it and to still say that, hey, we, we didn't come out too badly at the end of the, you know, we actually look eh, more or less a model of success, but without some of the systemic issues. So, and being able to have that luxury of time to grow uh, this business. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that journey recently last year, you did your first raise. Um, you mm-hmm. raised $35 million from one <laughs> investor. So what was that point where, you know, God just told you, yeah, this is the time now? Like, how was that process? And what, you know, even I guess for the listeners who are thinking, you know, where am I going to get my raise? All these kind of questions. What was your journey um, in doing that raise? Yeah, we we are already a late stage, uh, a late stage growth company. Um, and in the last two years, especially in the pandemic, our business grew and grew. It was really amazing that in a pandemic with the world lockdown, I had uh, almost five months of zero billing because everybody went back home. No one knew how to operate. No one knew how to do business anywhere around the world. So you almost had four or five months or five or six months of um, no billings. Uh, thank God we had an excellent first quarter that kind of tied us through another God story. Sometimes you look at what God is doing and then you kind of have the faith or have the assurance to chart the path forward. We did a lot of amazing things. It didn't let go of anyone in the company, kept the ship going. And in spite of that, at the end of the year, growing 40%. That to me was a signal that things were turning and and our tech was really uh, in demand. So I think what I wanted to do, and I talked to the Lord, um, was to prepare for the, to start preparing the company for the real growth. And um, real growth, I'm not talking about 40, 50%. I'm talking about, uh, you know, a couple of times. And I felt that we need to build a new foundation in order to cater uh, to this. So I went before the Lord and I just told him, but it's all in your hands. We've, you know, I've walked with you so all this year. So this is how I think. I'll give it to you how I think. And you bring me the right people. Don't bring me a lot of people because I have no time 
as you know, we like to run our business. So bring me the one that you think is suitable. And what does suitable means? The one that will really be a partner in the business that understands and their business is not just about uh, capital, but people who understand business that we can talk to and can really be on our board um, as partners. And that's it. I prayed, I gave it to him and I said, for as long as I'm not, you're not in a hurry. I've learned that. So I'm not going to be in a hurry as well. Every month I will go through me and my partners will go through one, two lease of VC. Over the last 10 years, we've had many, many offers to acquire the business, sell, invest. Every year, I get a couple of offers, right? So all we did was line up the people, put the one we least like at the beginning to run off the pitch with them, perfect the pitch. But we would do it like one, two times, uh, one, two times every month. We were not really in a hurry because we had our own runway. Um, yeah, until uh, Radiant Capital came along, and I, and we really like the way they think. Um, people who I felt could really take us to the next level. It wasn't capital, but it was the way that they think that could already, at a early stage, already help us to rethink that foundation and rethink what I was looking at for the next uh, couple of years for the company. Cool. Thank you so much. I think your life and your journey is really counterculture in a way. Um, you know, the traditional, I mean, inverted commas, traditional path of, you know, growing a company, um, getting venture funding at the beginning, all of these things, you've kind of flipped it upside down. Um, so thank you so much, Aaron, for um, just sharing your journey. Um, I, I don't know if everyone could hear, but it was pretty emotional and very, very touching at the beginning. So just thank you for being so transparent and open. I always say I could spend hours, um, you know, just interviewing you, but just thank you for your time. Um, and really God's doing something and your story needs to be shared. So thank you for sharing it um, on this podcast. And Sharon, one of the things we, well, the thing we like to do when we end every one of our podcast episodes is to hear from our guests about what they're hearing from God's word recently. And it could be today. Um, it's very, very early in the morning for you. So maybe it's not today, but um, it's sometime recently believing that God continues to speak to us through his word. So what is he, what's he sharing with you, please? Yeah, from Revelation 5, 11 to 14. And let me read it out. You know, uh, it starts with, you know, it starts with, uh, you know, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the land, be praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. To all the entrepreneurs out there, this is the lesson. And it, I, I got this verse a couple weeks ago. And really, it's, I've been meditating on it. Power, glory, wealth, wisdom all belongs to the Lord. In a typical entrepreneur's journey, those words, those key words of glory, power, and honor are things often entrepreneurs enjoy or seek for themselves. And that's why they do what they do. Revelation is the end of all things. And the end of all things 
honor, glory, strength, power, wealth, glory, praise are all his. Start living today that it all belong to him today and not when the day comes. Because that if you don't learn to cultivate it today and believe all of this, when the day comes, you won't be re- you won't be ready to say to him who sits on a throne, be all of this thing forever and ever. Amen. And I think that they dovetails really nicely with Psalm twenty seven four that you shared at the outset and 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 uh, the sermon I heard yesterday talking about um, Isaiah six and the seraphim just rejoicing and worshiping God and being. So holy. And on one hand, you could look at that and say, well, gosh, that sounds kind of boring if we're going to be in heaven and all we're going to be doing is flying around and saying, holy, holy, holy. And yet what you've been able to show us through the the challenges of your life is just this encounter with the living God and how awesome he is. And that it is this great joy. It's this rapturous joy of understanding that uh, the power and the holiness that he is. And with that right view of God, and the fact that we get to work as our worship for him, we start to glimpse the way that things were designed to be. And we can get away from the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and all the things that would otherwise be the lies that would be the narrative of the world. If we have a right view of God, and you've helped us understand that through being vulnerable and transparent about your journey and the challenges you face and how you've overcome through his power. And um, I'm grateful. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you in person. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and have listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. You can find fellowship with other like-minded leaders by joining a foundation group. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with peers in your area or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected with us by signing up for our monthly newsletter at asia.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of our team and friends across the movements. Thanks to everyone leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your area. We are grateful for you. Hey, everyone. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. And this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening.